and welcome to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I'm Rudy, and I'm just here to read the review for you. American Animals Review. Audacious stupidity and teeth-clenching thrills. Bart Layton's true crime heist caper about an incompetent plan to steal valuable books from a college library is a triumph by Peter Bradshaw. We're talking about $12 million in rare books and one old lady guarding it. This exciting description sums up the market forces governing Bart Layton's bizarrely gripping true crime thriller about a mind-bogglingly audacious and incompetent theft from an American library. Part of what was stolen was a rare edition of Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species, and the title is a quotation from Darwin about the flora and fauna of Kentucky. It could be that the robbers believe that people with the courage to carry out one single existentially thrilling and lucrative crime are the fittest to survive. Layton is the British director who made the 2012 documentary The Imposter about the notorious French conman Frédéric Bourdon using the interviews and dramatic reconstructions. American Animals develops this technique so that the reconstruction are the main body of the film in effect, making it a based-on-a-true-story fiction feature, but periodically cutting away to interviews with the real people involved in this chaotically crazy crime. Older and sadder, if not exactly wiser. I was on the edge of my seat. With enormous flair, Leighton is dramatizing a staggeringly daring and stupid robbery attempt by college students, which in its naivete, its weird innocence, its muddled-headed criminal purism, really does approach the quaintly contrived fictional genre, the heist. And the movie Mad Participants awarded themselves code names like Mr. Black and Mr. Pink, apparently unaware of how Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs ends or begins. These criminals assured each other that nobody would get hurt. Yet, it all hinged on tasering and tying up a middle-aged woman working in a library. The tasered librarian, like the cost driver in the so-called Great Train Robbery of 1963, is our reminder that these people aren't lovable anti-heroes. She is Betty Jean Gooch, played in this movie by Anne Dowd, and she rightfully has the last word as an interviewee. I was utterly absorbed in this teeth-clenching, exciting story, and the high sequence itself stands up really well, as well as anything I've seen. It's not hedged in tongue-in-cheek comedy like the Oceans movies or genre unreality like the classics. It really does feel authentic. Having said this, the film actually begins with some worryingly arch stuff teasing us about what's real and what isn't, and for a minute, I thought that this was going to be an irritating cop-out covertly muddying the issues. But no, Leighton has some valid things to say about the robber's differing version of events, but there's no sneaky bad faith on his part. Coogan and Peters give terrific performances and thoroughly bring you around to their adult point of view. They are the young people, the people with the idealism, the passion, the courage to do something interesting with their lives, an act of daring, almost artistic in its originality. They are almost right. And now, here is MC and Spro to talk about American Animals. Alright ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. I'm the other host, I'm Spro. And today we are here to talk about a movie that went so under the radar that not only did I not hear about it, when I went to watch it, I watched the wrong movie (laughs) for about a half an hour. And then I realized this can't be the movie that Spro was talking about. And sure enough, it wasn't. The movie we're going to be talking about today is called American Animals. However, the movie I started to watch was called Nocturnal Animals. American Animals. We're talking about a movie that I had, like I said, never heard of. Or if I'd heard of, I completely forgot about it. But you brought it to my attention. So we'll get into why I loved it. Tell me why you wanted to recommend this for our, for, for this episode. So I don't even know why I watched it. Because you look at it, and every time that we propose or one of our guests propose a movie for a second chance cinema, we look at two criteria. We look at whether or not it made money, because that is whether or not it went under the radar. If a lot of people saw it, then obviously it didn't. And then two, like whether the critics liked it or not. And if they did, if both of those, if it made a lot of money and the critics loved it, it's obviously not something for our show. But if one of those things doesn't compute, then it is. And this one went completely under the radar. And really, the other thing that I was thinking about was the evolution 
version of the world. We started this in, I think, 2017. Like, we're five years in now. This podcast? Yeah. Has it been that long? I think so. I think November 2017 was, like, our when we did Boiler Room, our first episode. That sounds right. This computer that we're recording on is, like, an 03. <laughs> so, yeah, so that tracks. And really, what I've been noticing with, like, my students and everything like that is, like, every four years, the world kind of changes. Like, four years ago... Hmm. What happens every four years? <laughs> I know, which is weird. Like, that has so much to do. But I mean, like, four years ago, none of my students had cell phones. Four years before that, there was a computer lab in the school. Like, nobody had, like, laptops and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, every four years, my students and what they're into completely changes. It's not like, like, every year they might be into Matchbox cars or poppets or whatever. But, like, their whole style of entertaining themselves completely changes. So... Five years ago, streaming services weren't as big as they are now, right? And sure. now, like, that's how we're getting pretty much all of our entertainment. And the other thing about, like, our mission statement of, like, what goes under the radar, it is so hard to tell now who is watching what and, like, what is, like, super popular unless it's blowing up, like, the Dahmer miniseries or whatever it was and everybody's talking about it. So there's all these, like, like even Six Underground, the Michael Bay thing, like, did that go under the radar? Nobody talked about it, mm-hmm. right? Like, how many people watched that? How much money did it make if it's all infused in, like, Netflix? So this movie made $4.1 million at the box office. There's no... Bo- there's no. I couldn't find a budget for it. But $4 million is pretty low, mm-hmm. right, in the scheme of things. What I did find out was that it went to a, a movie festival, and the people paid $3 million for its distribution rights. So they're already $3 million in, and it only made $4 million... <laughs> the box office so you're looking at like a million dollar return this went under the radar and i was like this is and then i watched it and it was amazing so okay so that was a way long explanation (laughs) no that was good though you you hit all the touch points that we need to uh sort of tee this up but you're right it was a movie that like i uh, the first time i saw the poster the thumbnail when i was clicking through i think it was on hulu i recognized the poster and it kind of like flicked my brain like oh i kind of remember this movie this is that movie with jesse eisenstein eisenberg (laughs) and i was like oh i hate him so much that and i shouldn't say hate him i don't hate him i don't know him as a person i don't enjoy his work as an actor i feel comfortable saying that that is my opinion that i do not enjoy his work i can't think of a thing to me it's it's all just the same kind of like character as like i'm a startup douche kind of do you like woody allen no. To me, he's a mini Woody Allen. Like, okay, he's like then, a young Woody Allen. Then that makes sense. But I mean, the Lex Luthor thing and whatever, it doesn't matter. He's not in this movie, which was a pleasant <laughs> surprise because I kept waiting for him to pop up until eventually I wikipedia it and I was like, oh, good, he's not in this movie. So that, that took the edge off a little bit. Who is in this movie, though? Evan Peters, who was Dahmer. Mm-hmm. Which, so that was a great, great segue there. <laughs> and also the guy who... Barry Kagan. I don't, yeah. I don't know how to say his name, but he looked familiar to me the whole time. And I didn't wait until after I was done. And I realized that he was the quote, unnamed Arkham inmate, unquote, in the Batman, aka the Joker. Yeah. So, because he had this look the whole time where it was like, it was very, like, he wasn't psychotic looking or anything like that, but it was uh, this like unsettling kind of like natural aura about him, I guess. And I was like, I've seen him before somewhere and I don't know where, but then it clicked. If you want to see him in like another like scary kind of role like that, he kind of reminds me of, oh, what's his face from The Gift? Joel, Joel Edger- Edgerton. 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 Yeah. He kind of reminds me of that. He, yeah. Yeah. He was like a, a psychotic kid in The Killing of the Sacred Deer with Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. Don't know that one. The Joel Edgerton comparison is good because he's kind of got like those like dead eyes. Like. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get into discussing the movie, we are going to um, we're going to celebrate our longest running tradition here on Second Chance Cinema other than the laptop. Uh, the Wheel of Poetry. And the Wheel of Poetry is a uh, spinning wheel with six different types of poetry on it. And we're going to land on one. While we play the trailer for this movie, we're going to write a poem about this movie in the style that we land on. And the styles, let's see if I can do this without looking at my notes. It's only been five years. We have haiku, limerick, ABAB, acrostic, song parody, and toast slash roast. So... Spinning the wheel and A B A B. 
All right, so we've landed on AB. To refresh, uh, ABAB, to refresh, I don't think we've done this one in a while, but the first and third lines have to rhyme, and the second and fourth lines have to rhyme. Pretty standard. I don't know yeah. if it's, I don't know if that's iambic pentameter or uh, Oxford nice. comma or whatever it is, but yeah. <laughs> so here's the trailer for American Animals. You feel like you're waiting for something to happen. It pains me to see you embarrass your father. But you don't know what it is. You're in. Or you're out. That thing that could make your life special. You're in. Or you're out. You're in. Or you're out. How can I tell you if I'm in or I'm out without you telling me the first thing about what I might be in or out of? This would be something dangerous and very exciting. This library is home to the most valuable book in the United States. Twelve million dollars. You really need to see how easy this is going to be. Oh, you know this from all your previous ice? Can I just say how dumb this entire thing is? How do you know no one's gonna get hurt? I don't want you waking up years from now wondering what could have happened and who you could have been. Are you sure you're okay? Oh, this is my life. This isn't some game. Can you please not touch the model? Thanks. Let's do this. All right, that was a cool trailer. That was... I like the music. That I was going to say, and remember, I the first thing I noticed was that kind of like... I don't know how you would even describe that. It was kind of like a big, like, heavy beats. It almost sounded kind of like a weird, like, dubstep sort of thing. Yeah, which, it reminded me of, like, the Wolf of Wall Street trailer when they just had the... Uh, it wasn't Black Skinhead. I forget which Kanye West Jay-Z song they put in, but, like, it's the... Yeah, it was very, it was very like, like, the movie... So the movie, it's... Uh, oh, so let's read our poetry first. Okay. You want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go for it. All right, Whatever. go ahead. All right, so um, here's Spro's ABAB poem about American animals. Ah, the days of being young. We have the world at our feet, yet our heads are kind of dumb. And our paths are determined by the friends we meet. Very beautiful. Mine's not as beautiful, but it's kind of along the same line. Want to change your life? Steal a book about birds. Try and plan a heist, but realize it's absurd. <laughs> I think that's what I took away. From. So the movie American Animals and and actually, you know what, bro? This was since this was your pick, and I've I, I, I'm grateful for you for picking it because I really enjoyed it. Why don't you explain kind of like our top level summary? Of- top level summary: It's four friends who are kind of I mean they're privileged, you know, growing up, and they all kind of have their lives playing out, but in the same instance, they're missing some adventure. And one friend comes up with this. One friend goes to a library, and some and the librarian's like. These books are some of the rarest in the world, and this one is worth $12 million, and the, the kid just gets it in the back of his head like, $12 million in a library? That just seems like easy money. Gives it to another friend who has a little bit more, like, looser morals, uh-huh. and that friend goes, we could actually have this to ourselves, and I can, I can plan it all out, and then they kind of develop a team of kids. Uh-huh. Who are really just kids who realize like this could be an adventure slash also very profitable. You know, they were probably raised on Goonies where like treasure exists and it's just there for the taking. You just have to be able to do it. And then what I love about the movie is it flips. Suddenly you're having fun and then suddenly you're like in this feeling of dread (laughs) of like, wait, this is a bad decision Mm -hmm. and this is going to lead to horrible consequences Mm -hmm. and then that's what happens and so one of the things that is cool about this movie 
which we neglected to mention is that it's based on it or that it is it, they have a title card that says like this is based on a true story so and then this it, is not this is not based on a true story and then they blow away not based on and it says this is a true story yeah right so throughout the movie there are interviews interspersed with the narrative um the interviews being the actual like kids that it's based off of as well as their i think parents teachers the librarian everybody that's disappointed in them (laughs) everybody yeah everybody who's like not mad just disappointed but also kind of mad and that was a really like like they did it in such a way where it wasn't distracting like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh we're at this critical point in the narrative and then cut to this interview with the guy who's on the screen it was done in a way that was like it was almost like a dvd commentary happening in real time while you're watching the movie but it added like this different layer because you saw the the real guys themselves were all pretty like uh, three of the four of them were pretty just like unassuming dudes the evan peters character he was a little his real life counterpart was a little more like like he had long hair and kind of this like janky tattoos yeah tattoos and like this like happy-go-lucky vibe but even he was nowhere near as like volatile i think as the as the character in the movie so it was interesting to see how they kind of like upscaled i guess the the characters in the movie based on what they were portrayed as on the screen but this movie reminded me of this is like alpha dog Mm -hmm. and i i was not a huge fan of alpha dog i think alpha dog to me this was way better because it was not as goofy as alpha dog like alpha dog well there's no justin timberlake in this one well right and that was i mean that was part of the movie when it came out it was like oh justin timberlake's acting and in the movie he just plays kind of like this like goofy is the word i keep going back to because his all of his lines are just like curse words and slurs and stuff like that yeah like imagine american animals but justin timberlake playing warren because that's that would be the character that he played in this movie maybe yeah like and that just but then there was also the stuff with like Ben Foster taking a shit on the floor and like doing karate at the party and throwing guys through tables and stuff. Fun fact, Alpha Dog's on our list. Is it? <laughs> yes. Did Alpha Dog not do well? No. I don't think it was critically. Well, the one uh, Okay, well, maybe I'll have to backtrack a little bit. What I was what I was going to say though is you're a big Sharon Stone fan, right? Oh, I love Sharon. Yeah, she, she was, was one of my first crushes. She was haunting in that movie when the when they do like what do you call it the confessionals of her character like when she's in the i guess it's like a psych hospital or something like that at the end and she's kind of like put on weight and stuff yeah. man that is a terrifying <laughs> like just experience to watch she's awesome at that yeah i mean i only got 54 percent on rotten tomatoes i yeah i don't know that was but to me this movie american animals reminded it it it, it certainly evoked alpha dog vibes but i liked it a lot better yeah well i'd never seen the i mean i did like warren Beatty did a movie called reds back in the 80s and like they inter put like the real interviews and i'm still unclear when harry met sally if those are real people or if those are actors because they're in the script saying what the their romantic stories right they have like interviews with like real life couples is like oh i saw morty coming out of the deli and da, 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 and, and we locked eyes and it was like love at first sight they're like sitting on the couch or whatever oh, okay so you don't know if they're real or i don't i still don't know if they're real people or not but like this one this is the first time where it felt like we were taking an unsolved mysteries approach of like like, here's the interview with the real people and we're going to dramatize these scenes. Except, like, the dramatized scenes are, like, high-budget Hollywood quality mm-hmm. dramatization of the scenes that the people are narrating for. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... To me, this is... I've never seen it done as well as, like, this blending. Like you said, like, it's not distracting. That's it, That was the it key all, thing It for helps. Me. Like, yeah, exactly. That was the key thing for me because it can be... Like, that's a... That's kind of a... Whatever the crime shows are, like, the true crime stories where it'll be, like, this is a reenactment. And then... What was that? show america was it america's most wanted or yeah. something and then it cuts to the cop being interviewed or whatever and it's always just like very like it doesn't add or detract it's just kind of like meh but this really the way they did it was just really effective in sort of teeing up the the drama like you said and the plot and the sequence of events names first eric mr black spencer mr green mr yellow is me Chaz. Mr. Pink. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking really, dude? What? You're making me Mr. Pink? What? What's wrong, Mr. Pink? You know exactly what's wrong with Mr. Pink, okay? I'm sorry, can I just say how dumb this entire thing is, okay? Because in the motion picture, the whole point of the names was so that nobody knew what the others were called, so they couldn't give each other up. Relax, okay? It's just protocol so we don't address each other by our names during the robbery, okay? Mm-hmm. 
No names. Mr. Pink. It's fucking ridiculous, man. And they all die in the end of that movie. Spencer was Mr. Green because he smoked lots of green. Eric was Mr. Black because he said his soul was black. I was Mr. Yellow because I was, I was my mom's sunshine. And I named Chaz Mr. Pink just to fuck with him. I'm not gonna be Mr. Pink. I'm be any color but pink. <laughs> it's probably my least favorite Tarantino film. So, Transylvania University, did you have to look that up? Uh, I didn't I, know that was real. I mean, I do like the usual like rounds of like trivia and stuff like that. And everybody was like, all like the true life things is like at Transylvania University. I was like, I oh, didn't right, know, there you go. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, so this is a fiction movie? <laughs> but then I looked it up and sure enough, there is a Transylvania University in or nearby Lexington, Kentucky, mm-hmm. apparently, which has in its collection some of the rarest books in the world i guess uh, who to thunk it and that is the uh the impetus for this heist that these college age friends plan when i realized that they were going to be stealing books my heart sank because uh, for whatever reason like if they would have been kidnapping a kid i would have been like oh whatever um <laughs> Stealing money, could not care less. Jewels, whatever. But when when I learned that they were going to be stealing a book, especially an Audubon book with pictures of animals and stuff in it, I was like, oh, are they going to ruin it? That was the first thing, like, that was the first thing I thought, like, are they going to ruin this priceless book? (laughs) And the Darwin book, too, The Evolution of Species, like, I don't know why, but but that that hit me in the feels. (laughs) And I never, like, I still don't really understand what an Audubon book is. Have you heard about the heard of the Audubon Society? It's like a. Mm-hmm. I think of like a, a, a highway in Germany or something. No, <laughs> that's different. That's spelled different. But the Audubon <laughs> Society, I believe, is kind of like a conservation naturalist organization. What is Audubon? Let's start from the beginning. The National Audubon Society began its roots in 1896 when Harriet Hemingway and Mina Hall organized groups to convince Boston society ladies to stop wearing hats donned with real bird feathers. By 1898, state-level Audubon societies had been established in parts of the country. And in 1905, the National Audubon Society was founded, an environmental nonprofit dedicated to conserving birds and their habitats. And of course, our society is named in honor of the one and only John James Audubon, an ornithologist and naturalist who painted and cataloged the birds of North America in the 19th century. And the and so these books are basically just like collections of paintings of of these beautiful birds. And as she's like pointing it out and showing it to him, and I think the first picture they see is like a flamingo, right? Yeah, it's some kind of weird. It was a. Fl- I'm pretty sure it was a flamingo because a flamingo, like a weird, like hallucination flamingo, pops up at the end to him. But I was, yeah, I was just gutted when I when I thought that the books might be might be hurt. It was kind of like when you have the dog in the movie and it's like a disaster movie, and you're like, is the dog gonna make it? Yeah. I was like, are the books gonna get ruined? And I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> the uh, spoiler alert: they don't. Yeah, but and non-spoiler because it surprised. I've probably seen this movie about three or four times now. It surprises me every single time when they take the books out. And they're like so huge. They're gigantic. Yeah, (laughs) the books themselves, like you, because they 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 actually didn't do a great job of of like uh, implying that through. Because you see them under glass, and I don't think you ever see them next to a person for comparison. Yeah, not really. When they try to lift them up, they're like the size of like a dining room table, kind of. (laughs) You know, like it's it's they're just giant books, and um, they're apparently worth. $12 Twelve million dollars, according to some, according to Udo Kier, who is the the buyer in the Amster, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, that the Evan Peters character goes to meet. Maybe uh, right. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> goes to meet and uh, decides that it's going to be worth their time to try and organize this heist and steal these priceless books. And what I like about the other thing, because this is an Ocean's Eleven, right? Like they do have like the daydream of like this is how cool it's going to be and this is how we're going to look and. Everything. Mm-hmm. like that and then they have the failed- although they did use a little less conversation yep. when that happened yeah like that i mean if you look at the wikipedia of this movie it's pretty much the soundtrack what year was this <laughs> this was january 19th 2018 oh, another 2018 movie. 2018 same year as peppermint <laughs> yeah not years and years and years ago <laughs> so okay so that tracks yeah what was i saying you're talking about oceans 11 oh so they have the the heist where they're they're gonna look super cool right they have the heist where it's like this is how we're gonna get away with it we're gonna dress like old men and everything and then they have when they actually do it and it's just a fucking (laughs) free-for-all 
So that, yeah. So, I mean, I, I suppose we can kind of like skip over at least the first third of the movie is sort of exposition. You get the idea that Warren was Aaron, Evan Peters, right? Yeah. So there's Spencer. Spencer, that's right. Eric, Eric's my favorite. He, I really like that. Like the, he was kind of the, the you kind of look like him right now. He, he wants to be kind of, the FBI agent. Right. And he's yeah. got like that. What are we doing here? <laughs> like, oh, like Al like Gary Sinise. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then there's uh, Chaz. Yeah. The other one. Blake like Jenner. The, he's like the meathead kind of like. Not related to the Jenner family. Didn't care. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't even bother to look that up. And Warren is kind of like the, he's like the charismatic one. He's the one who, you know, typical character. He's like, don't you want something better for your life? This town sucks. We got to get out of here. We got to do something. We got to make a splash. We got to, you know, we got to grab the brass ring or whatever. Um, <laughs> And Spencer is kind of like, he, he's on the line. He's on the tipping point of like, he's got kind of his life planned out post-college. Like he's just going to be like a normal dude, but he's got that that itch to do something extraordinary. Well, he's got the artist, you know, vibe. And like, it starts with like the interview of them being like, what are you saying with your art? You know, and he's like, well, I don't know, I just like to draw. <laughs> yeah, he's very like, I mean, he's very just unassuming. I like the David Fincher quality opening with like the frat party and everything like that like he oh, couldn't like yeah. recite the book and they're like suck him on you know right like, right, right. The beer bong going. He was, that was like hazing right yeah he was you assume, you assume okay yeah so yeah so he's just trying to kind of like fit in he's just trying to go unnoticed kind of and just 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 do, do what do society wants yeah um so throughout the movie he he is the one spencer's the one who gets the tour of the library and stumbles upon the fact that there are these incredibly rare books inside the library that for all intents and purposes would not be hard to steal. They're they're guarded by one librarian. This librarian, she was the deputy donut of this movie. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Um, she gets our deputy donut award. She gets the deputy donut humanitarian <laughs> award for for this movie. We'll talk about we'll talk about why in a minute. But basically, it's just guarded by her, and so you know, no elaborate security systems, no lasers that a French art thief would have to do break dancing to get past anything <laughs> like that. Um, it's basically just like let's go in, let's lift up the books, and let's take them out, and then let's go to Amsterdam and sell them. And so yeah, so the bulk of the movie then focuses on their plan to do this and is sort of intercut again with the interviews and the confessionals and testimonials from the real people. And then also some scenes that later in the movie, we are faced with the question, did this actually happen? Because as the movie unfolds, we realize that the Warren character might be making some of this shit up. Yeah. And that was kind of the cool part for me. Like, it reminded me again of, I, I, it reminded me of The Lookout, actually, and Joker, which I said in The Lookout episode, this movie reminded me of Joker. So this movie reminds me of The Lookout because at the end, it's kind of like all the characters kind of come to this consensus, like, did Warren really go to Amsterdam or is he just bullshitting us? Because none of us went with him. You know, he could have just gone away for two days and come back and said, okay, here's the deal. Did he really know, did he really meet with the guy in the park or something like that? Yeah, well, the guy with like the blue, he was waiting for somebody with a blue scarf and right. talked to somebody with a purple scarf. Like. Right. And this is all through the the testimonials. Like they, they all describe the same events, but they describe them with such different details that you're like, who's telling the truth? I thought that was really cool because then it makes you think back through the story like The Lookout and like Joker and think, oh, what part of this could have been real? What part of this could have been made up? Mm -hmm. The other thing about it is, and it's something that I talk to my students all the time is like when you're growing up, like the most important thing in your life is who you choose to be your friends because your friends are going to set you on the path, right? And this whole time, this whole movie is set on the the most convincing, the most energetic of friends, which is Warren. If Warren wasn't in the picture, none of this would happen right and even so like when he's the one that says we're not we're not robbing it there's like four people having a meeting up there like we're not gonna do it and we never see that right so we wonder and the other thing is like they're all in the car and like in my mind like as i'm watching the movie like this is when the movie has switched to dread like you're like oh they, they sh really should not be doing this like please <laughs> please don't do it and then he like comes down he's like we can't do it because there's there there's too many librarians we didn't we didn't set up to rob four librarians only one and whatnot and they get in the car and in my like in my viewing heart i'm like okay like it's an anticlimactic movie but i'm glad that they that they i thought 
that was the too. better part. I was like, oh, so they're not going to do it. So let's see what happens. And I he's totally in, like, thought that too. Yeah. And he's in the store for like 30 seconds and comes out. He's like, I just made an appointment. We're going, we're on for tomorrow. And you're like, that's it's a such good, a roller coaster. That's a good point because you're right. You don't. So they, they go in first and this is part of the opening scene of the movie too, mm-hmm. right? They yeah. get, you see this scene of four, like it's, ki- it's obviously kids in makeup to look like old people and they're doing all the things like i forget what it was like pushing the elevator button and just very like quick cutty and oh this is going to be a heist it was kind of like it reminded me of like point break kind of with the president's masks and stuff and then um it does one of the like six months earlier kind of things and then eventually after the exposition the movie catches up to them in their prosthetic makeup and stuff they plan to go in as the to me, like, I I don't know. I couldn't suspend the disbelief of the old guy's disguise because they still look, they look like ki- like kids wearing old guy's disguises. Like, they didn't, I don't know. I mean, yes, no, they were not professional makeup artists. <laughs> to me, Jenner was the worst because he just walked around like a high school football player. I right, couldn't like... even tell him apart. But like, um, but it also made me wonder like, well, what what are the other alternatives? I mean, they they need to obscure their faces. Wearing masks probably wouldn't work because as soon as they walk in the library, that would look weird. So all things considered, I mean, not the worst disguise, but you know, maybe they could have done a practice run like for Halloween or something and tested it out to see how many people bought it. It's definitely better than what they ended up with. <laughs> True. Yeah. So that all goes down, and then we're kind of up at like present time in the movie, and then we're along for the ride for the rest of the movie. And what happens is they Warren does the thing where he's supposed to be the only one who's going to go up into the archive. He's going to tase the librarian so that it knocks her out. He's going to do this very quickly, very smoothly, without incident. And then he's going to radio the other guys, okay, come on up. It's clear. The first time they go in, all dressed as old men, he goes up. We're left down in kind of like the live, the main room of the library with the other guys. Sharpening a pencil. Sharpening a pencil and kind of sitting at the table reading a paper or something like that. He comes right back down and he's like, it's a no-go. There's four librarians up there. Report. Report. Report to Okay, Tyler, four fucking librarians. What is going on? There's a fucking meeting up there or something, okay? There's four librarians. We can't die up. I'm not evil. I'm not staying, okay? They're all looking at me. I'm losing this eye, bro. Okay, listen, everyone, just chill out, all right? We haven't done anything. We can wait, all right? They're not going to be up there forever. <sighs> okay. Who wants to wait? which like i get it it's too many people to go unseen or whatever but i also thought of it like it's not like there were four ninjas guarding the book you know (laughs) like four librarians can't be too hard to dispatch although mrs gooch which was her awesome name turns out to be a very formidable foe when they eventually do make it up there and that happens was it like a day or two later yeah the next day next day they go back warren does go up this time he's in his regular clothing he's dressed kind of like he's supposed to be like a ta or like a professor or something who wants to examine the books Still looks like a young college kid, but, you know, maybe he's a genius or something. Has a ponytail. A little uh, pony knob is what it was. (laughs) So he goes in, makes nice with Mrs. Gooch, the librarian. There's a couple of scenes of him looking at the book and stuff like that. And then it, it just cuts to him on the radio saying, okay, we're good. Come on up. And at that point, you're led to believe based on the plan that the librarian has been tied up on the floor. She's out. Nothing's wrong. But then the kid comes up and Eric is very, very, before the heist happens, Eric is very like i don't want any part of of hurting anyone you know i don't want any part of like even being seen by anyone so if she's not out i'm not doing this or whatever if the librarian's not not neutralized i'm not doing this so you're led to believe that's what happens and he calls eric up and as soon as eric gets to the door the librarian's like oh hello nice to see you and clearly he's just like what the fuck dude what is face right there of like just anger and surprise and like (laughs) it was because now like if you think about it now he's been identified and lied to lied to yeah lied to and doesn't know why she's not 
dispatched like did something happen that that they didn't count on he can't like turn and run away although i suppose he could have like i mean i don't maybe he could have like faked an asthma attack or something like, like that a and stomach run away. ache or something yeah eventually he's kind of like goaded by warren into the room and they sort of improvise like it's just a series of audibles after that yeah well because she was like you need to sign in sign your name and so he had to come up with a fake name real quick and that's when warren tases her you know when she's so close to eric and it's like why like the just makes you angry at warren and then warren is like a like a tasmanian devil in the whole thing kind of (laughs) so the plan is to tase her and knock her out which i don't know the uh, i've played around with tasers before i've never been knocked out just like have you tased yourself i have not but i've been tased by uh rabble rousing friends (laughs) um and you don't i didn't get knocked out like it it burned and kind of was like Ugh! but certainly <laughs> getting it in the arm which is which in the in the fantasy it shows him like tasing her in the neck it's very like expendables-esque he just yeah. tases her in the neck and she goes down in reality he tases her like in the like the bingo flaps of her arms <laughs> And she's just kind of like, ow, ow, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And right then is when you're like, oh, fuck. Because now she's uh, like an active victim in all this. Yeah. She doesn't go down. She does go down, but she doesn't get knocked out. And Warren keeps tasing her and tasing her and tasing her. Starts barking at Eric to like tie up her legs, tie up her arms, all that stuff. The whole time she's she's first pleading for her safety, then she's kind of like pleading for the safety of the books. Yeah. And then it cuts back and she's peed herself, which to me was like, that was the deputy donut moment. I was like, this poor lady. Yeah. You guys are assholes. This poor lady. Well, both of them are very like in a weird way. It's almost scarier because they're so apologetic that they because every time they like tie another arm or like have to like touch her they're like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry everyone's like just stop just right. stop like right, the right, whole right. time you're like just stop stop just stop <laughs> stop 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 and it was kind of noble too because she like she like i said she first kind of pleaded for her safety but then she started like not the books not the books and i was like oh man these are this, what and a, she was speaking to your heart <laughs> yeah like what a good lady like like take me don't take the books kind of like mm-hmm. I, and and it was just kind of heartbreaking and you it, up until Until then, you kind of... Like, it's not sympathy that you feel for these kids. It's more just, like, curiosity. Like, how are they going to end up? But when they attack the librarian it was sort of just like man now i'm kind of on the side of fuck you i hope you go to jail because she was just a sweet old lady doing her job and i kind of like flip right there and i'm like you just you better get away with this you know like if you're gonna go through all this and put people through like you better not fuck this up (laughs) so then after that they take the books and that's when we learn how big the books are the fun thing about like the heist part right is because you have not the fun thing but like a good observation is that warren is the one that's flipping out like fuck you just fucking just just fucking do that you know like she, mm-hmm. he's just flipping and then he's trying to get the darwin book mm-hmm. right he's trying to get the key in with the darwin book right and it's eric that comes around and just smashes the glass was it like, yeah i don't remember that yeah so he smashes the glass of like just fucking like to go and let's just take the book and it's like okay so he just got up to warren's level right to because they're just in full panic at this yeah. time. Yeah. And so then they take the big books and push the wrong elevator button. and <laughs> Right. That was almost like a comedy beat where they open up the elevator on the floor where all the students are. But no, did anybody look or nobody looked? I nobody don't looked. Nobody and looked. They, like, were on, the book was so huge that they're able to hide behind the panels of the Right. Elevator. So it's just like this floating giant book in the elevator but then they eventually go down the stairwell the and they just drop the book and, and make a run for it <laughs> which at which point i was like oh thank god <laughs> but now you're like you're gonna get arrested now and you well that's the thing I, didn't, I had no idea what was gonna happen after that i was like are they gonna try like because the mission all things considered was a failure mm-hmm. spencer was on the roof yeah he was lookout with the binoculars Chaz was like the getaway driver so he was in a like a minivan waiting outside <laughs> yeah and then they uh, they just come bolting out of the library and kind of like jump in the minivan and drive away well eric does he hits warren with the car. oh that's right yeah he hits him with the car <laughs> That was another unexpected, like, I was like, oh, shit, now there's, like, the scene of an accident, too. Like, how are they even going to, how are they going to disappear from this? But then he pukes all over the deck. You know, like, there's just so much going on. You know what? The whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking of that. 
it's one of my favorite quotes attributed to Mike Tyson. Uh, Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Because that was exactly what happened. As soon as that librarian did not go down, that was the punch in the face and shit just unraveled. It was just a really, really like kind of high energy chaos that, that unfolded. And really, like I think one of my favorite nothing scenes from the movie is just Eric sitting on the curb staring like at the asphalt I think but like you could feel that like everybody's had that feeling of I just fucked up how bad is this going to be like it's dread it's anxiety it's it's your life flashing before your eyes yeah see that was the one thing I did like quite a bit about alpha dog was just the like it's the point of no return Mm -hmm. you know like after they kidnap the kid and i think it was when bruce willis is dressing him down like you tell me what happens next asshole like that whole and it's just like if i was in that situation (laughs) like like with my anxiety and stuff i would be just i wouldn't i don't even i wouldn't even know what to do i mean i would be i would be sitting there thinking just like whatever's gonna happen please let it happen so i know what's going to happen yeah they're all just now in this state of uncertainty but they still have the balls to try and go to new york i think right yeah and pawn off the darwin book Mm -hmm. that they were able to steal because it was smaller and they were able to kind of like put it in a a, they like hide it under their vest their jackets or something like that book bag book bag yeah that's the other thing that i wasn't too sure about like i feel like if if something like this happened because this was 2018 right yes so uh, but when did when did the um when did the event happen because they went to prison for seven years 2004 so 2004 okay so the internet was kind of like still you know not social media so uh, my question was going to be how did they expect like if there are only so many copies of these books in the world you know wouldn't wouldn't news that one had been stolen spread quit pretty quickly but i guess not but then like i don't know the art world like if you acquire something that was stolen yes it's receiving stolen property but also doesn't it make it worth more <laughs> because it's like a it's like, like taking an extra it to a, of yeah. its history now so like taking it to a museum you know probably not something that i would do to like try and fence it right or pawn it off uh-huh but in the same instance, like you feel like there's there's a mansion out there somewhere that has a bunch of stolen art mm-hmm. up on the walls, right? And like and the guy is probably respected, you know. And people are like, oh, there's a Picasso, and it's not until they die and like or like six years after their death, they're like, wait, that guy had the stolen Picasso, you know, mm-hmm. like the stolen mm-hmm. Renoir or whatever. So with art and books and stuff like that, I feel like it's a li- it could be a little bit more under the radar with like the illegal. Maybe there's a there's a kind of a throwaway line where they they're it's during the fantasy of the planning of the where they talk about like and we'll be in new york or we'll be in amsterdam or wherever but before the national it was like the national book registry or the national art registry even knows it's gone something yeah. like that they did acknowledge it but again i feel like man that would be i don't know you're right i guess i don't know the the, <laughs> the i mean the lady that they were trying to like fence it to was like oh this is really old and really rare yeah. and she's like i have no doubt it's genuine but the guy who authenticates these isn't here today. You have to come back tomorrow. Which is just another kind of like, like, was she bullshitting them or? Like she needed it for a little bit longer to check like the, with the police or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. And and again, that was that was the scene where they go, because all four of them in New York, are in New York. Warren and um, Spencer who go to the woman to get it appraised. And then they all come back out into the car with the book. They're like, oh yeah, the guy's not there. We have to come back tomorrow. And... Once they get into the car, it is pouring rain, okay? So this is a great scene because it was really claustrophobic because outside the car, it's not like you you couldn't see anything outside the car. You couldn't see people walking in the rain or you couldn't see cars driving past in the rain. It was just sheets of raindrops that like obscured everything. So it was just these four guys in the car freaking out. And it was really, really like just a good way to sort of, you know, hit on the the panic and the like the raw anxiety of that scene. I thought that was really cool. Oh, fuck. So? Well, uh, and? The main guy wasn't there, so we had to talk to the uh, junior executive. Uh, deputy. 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 Uh-huh. And uh, she said what we got is very valuable. And uh, just got to wait for the main guy to get back. So we're going to wait for the call and then can get in touch with the, with the meeting. When you say wait for the call, you mean at the hotel, right? You're gonna call myself. Hey, turn the engine off. Ring, ring your cell phone number. Ring it now. 
fucking ring it! Spencer, okay, you know what? I'll ring it for you, dipshit. Let's see. Does that sound like a fucking art dealer to you, huh? <laughs> Look, Chaz, we can change the message. Hey, 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 shut up, Eric! All right, shut the fuck up! Well, definitely, like, after the heist, like, to me, this is, like, Blake Jenner's, uh, Chaz. This is his, like, movie. Like, the performance that he gives when he, like, pulls the gun. And he's got, like, oh, you know, yeah, I forgot tears he had a gun. coming down his eyes. Yeah. And, like, and even so everybody, because they, like, hop back in the car and they're like, it's okay, we have to wait a day, you know, type of thing. And he's like, you go the fuck back in there, you know, because they gave <laughs> yeah. him the cell phone, right? The right. number. And he's like... The voice message doesn't sound like an art dealer or whatever like that. And he's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you need to go back. And uh, Warren's like, you know, we can't go back in there. And then he pulls the gun and right. he's like, this is my life you're fucking with. Right. You need to go back in there, get whatever piece of paper that has your phone number on it back. How? Right fucking How? now. Because I shit you not, that number's going to put us all in jail, you fucking little asshole. You just need to calm down. Then. Hey, don't yes. fucking tell me to calm down, Warren. You, you, you guys are sending us to jail, you fucking idiots. Do you not understand what I'm saying? You don't understand that? You're too fucking stupid. You're so smart, Chaz. Why didn't you go in there? I can do this. What do you got, Mr. Trank? Oh, oh, okay, okay, what? Chaz, what are you fuck, doing? You just call me? What oh, the you fuck, call me a man? fucking bitch? Chaz. Fuck. Oh, where's the talk now, bitch? Huh? This is my life you are fucking with, man, okay? This isn't some fucking game. You gotta go back in there and get that number back. You gotta go back in there and get that fucking number back right now, Spencer. Go! Chaz, man, you know we can't go back in there. I don't give a fuck what you think you know. You've killed us. You shot us all in the fucking head. And it's like, and that's how he is, like, for the rest. I remember at that moment, I was like, mm, I, you don't get to say that, because you did this willingly. <laughs> like, you fucked with your own life. I don't but I think, know like, that. everybody justified, like, I'm the lookout, so I'm not that big of a deal. Like, I'm the getaway mm, I don't driver. Know. I think... Like, I didn't tase the librarian. So, like, because even the FBI agent guy, right, like, the Eric, uh -huh. who wants to be FBI, he's like, I just don't want to deal with the librarian. But you're involved in this whole thing. Where oh, yeah. You're, gonna, you're involved with the librarian. It's that whole thing from uh, The Dark Knight. It's a Rico conspiracy case like if you charge one you charge them all yeah you know like um yeah you're part of this whether you're like the lookout or and this was another thing too where this was much better than in uh in peppermint where the guy gets the opportunity and then like backs out of it kind of right away yep. but he's still on the hook and gets killed the, yeah. fa the family this one each of them had ample opportunity to say no because even when um Warren is explaining his idea. He does it very ambiguously. He's he's like, I just need to know right now, are you in or out? <laughs> if that was me, I would have been like, well, I am fucking out. If you're not going to tell me exactly what you're talking about. At that point, it's like, if he does tell you what he's talking about, where do you go from there? Because yeah. now you're on the hook as like a witness. So if you were to come at me and say, are you in or out right now? I need to know, in or out. I would be like, bro, I wish you the best. Ste would you really? Stealing your uh, your rare books. <laughs> um, please don't damage If them. I came to you and was like, I have a plan. It's good. It's a little illegal, but we're going to be great. If you said it's a little illegal, I would say pass. <laughs> At it's this a little point, mafia if would, illegal. If you would have caught me, if you would have caught me twenty years ago, maybe when I was feeling a little more invincible, I might have been with you. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. And that's like, the thing. They're yeah. in this. They're that's where they are in their lives. Um, yeah, like when we were in college, we did dumb shit. Oh yeah. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Never to the extent of stealing a, a rare book. I don't think. No, but pranks and stuff like that. Pranks. Like, I mean, maybe it is because of the movies like that I've seen. I just would be like, if you can't give me more information, I gotta. That's gonna be a no for me, dog. No to Hollywood. Well, that's what, like, the logline is. Four young men mistake their lives for a movie and attempt one of the most audacious heists in U.S. history. So it's like, yeah, hmm. just kind of blaming. What the other name. heists are there in U.S. history? The biggest, I think the biggest money heist was a mafia heist for, I think it's an airport. They, like, stole it there because the airports, the way that that worked out, I think it was Brooklyn. I think they reference it in uh, Goodfellas, is that when money is exchanged overseas, like, for, in customs or whatnot, they have to send the american money back mm -hmm. and they were storing it at the airport and so like the mafia went in and they stole like 16 million dollars did they get away with it no because it's good fellas so oh. henry hill flipped on everybody and ratted everybody out on the heist 
Oh. One of the most intriguing ones that I just uh, watched a documentary on was on St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Somebody went into an art museum and stole a bunch of paintings off the wall and everything, and they haven't recovered them since. Wow, so there are more heists than I realized. Yeah. What's the difference between a heist and a robbery? Well, armed robbery, of course, is... And I don't know if you would would tasing be considered armed? I, or if, armed is like if I a was gun. A, no, if I was a lawyer, I would argue for armed robbery with a taser. That's a weapon. But arms are specifically referencing guns, right? Arms can refer to armament, armory. I don't know. It's uh, Maybe. But I would. if I was a lawyer, I'd go with the whole ambiguous thing. I mean, it's a weapon caused harm. I think heist is probably something dealing with minimal uh, victims involved. Ah, okay. Unless shit goes crazy, but right. like robbery would be like you're kidnapping, you're like, hostaging people for a. It's almost bit. like how what's like how famous do you have to be to be assassinated, assassinated instead of murdered? Yeah. Or like how old does it have to be to be archaeology instead of grave robbing? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So actually, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you remember this, but when we did Peppermint, I Googled it and it came up with the five questions that Google uh-huh. asks immediately. So I'm going to do that right now and I'm going to see which ones you can answer. So this might, this could be a new recurring thing on the show. I looked over them. They seemed very prophetic this time around. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So they're usually, so so when you Google something, uh, it, it pops up with like four or five starter questions, I suppose, about whatever you're Googling. So these are them. You're stretching a little bit. Are you are you pumped for this? You're like cracking your back. No, that's, I have occipital neuralgia. Oh, okay. So you're not, <laughs> I have a medical condition. <laughs> so you're not getting pumped up. Okay. Well, number one, was American Animals a true story? Yes. How long were the American animals in jail? They were all given... They were all sentenced to the same. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Um, well, one, it was like an extraordinarily... They did it by months, right? Like... No. A lot of months in jail. And then it turned out to like seven years? Seven years is what okay. I remember. But they were in... They, ended, they didn't say why, but they said they were in jail longer than that. So they, they were sentenced to seven years, but let's see what it says. It says an 87-month prison sentence. That by 12. <laughs> but in the movie, I believe that it said that they got more than that for whatever. Um, is American Animals worth watching? Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's a good one. Why is it called American Animals? This is where we get real philosophical and shit. Well, it's because of what you said earlier in the episode, right? It's the Autobahn. The guy went into... I think that's the literal meaning of it. Yeah. And then Darwin, of course, Darwin. all dealing with animals. Um, and then... Probably something about youth being animalistic. Maybe. I thought more about like, because what they're trying to do is they blur the line between like that whole thing between like existing and living or surviving. Like it's a, it's kind of like a, they, they, they cast themselves as deserving better than what, where they are. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the theme throughout the movie is like, there's always this, there, there's in everybody's life, there's this one moment that takes you over the line and defines what you're going to be for the rest of your life. And for them, it's this heist. And I think that that's kind of like a nod to evolution or like adaptation. Like if you don't evolve, you go extinct, mm-hmm. right? And that's what they were afraid of, going extinct in the sense of not being remarkable. Nice. I mean, then that's not a unique theme in movies. It's all, I mean, it's, you only got one shot. Carpe diem. You can play, yeah. you can play <laughs> lose yourself. But yeah, it's, it's that whole thing. And, and I think tying it to, and this is just my interpretation, but like, you know, evolve or go extinct is kind of like where they were, where they thought they were in their lives. It was like, we have to do this or we risk falling into whatever their definition of obscurity was. Yeah. I don't necessarily know what like Warren's maybe Warren just didn't have a life plan like everybody else and so he's the reason why he like threw a wrench in everybody else's well that's the other thing too is his you're given a very very like quick glimpse into his home life yeah because Spencer you kind of go oh his life he's just gonna go into advertising or something with his artwork and mm-hmm. and the FBI agent's gonna do that you know like and so they're pretty much gonna graduate college and have their lives and to them it's like graduate college and then basically like turn into dust yeah they think that and to be fair like i i don't know that that's a completely unique sentiment i know i remember times feeling like i mean shit still but but even so even then it's kind of like the uncertainty is like yeah what what does happen what could happen like if it goes wrong our futures which fucking future are you worried about the one that's fucking indistinguishable from everyone else's? Will you fucking beaver away to get the shit you're told you need to have by some fucking asshole who's gonna tell you what a great big success you are once you get it all? 
Spence, you are the one who wanted to fucking change. You started this whole thing, remember? Huh? Yeah, I do. I, I think we should just quit while we're ahead. Dude, this isn't fucking ahead. This is just more of the same shit. Nothing has changed. What has changed? Tell me. You really want to come all this way and not find out what happens next? I mean, tell me this hasn't been the time of your fucking life. Man, I don't want you waking up 10 years from now wondering what could have happened and who you could have been. I was yep. just talking to a friend who did that, who like graduated college, found their partner, found their job, their career, and like just went along that path. And when I was talking about my life with them, I was like, you know, I kind of envy you because I've never really had that stability, right? Mm -hmm. Like after college, like I've been, I, I lived in LA, I've I've lived all over Cleveland, like mm -hmm. I just I hop around and I have different jobs and whatnot and they're like and i kind of envy you because you've lived so many lives and i just had this one and it's mm -hmm. like oh man like <laughs> is that just grass is greener on the other side or I is that like is. or is there a perfect blend well, that you could kind of do i mean the grass is greener where you water it so <laughs> wow what that was deep <laughs> i never heard the evolution oh, of really? that saying yeah oh i don't know if, i don't think i came up with that <laughs> I couldn't have come up with that. No. The grass is greener where you water it. It is. If you take away nothing from this episode, <laughs> get that on a bumper sticker or something. I'll put a little happy music behind that. But yeah, and that's the thing. When you're in college and you're looking at all these other... Uh, shit, I remember that. When you're looking at all these other kids. It's almost like when you're in high school and you hear who got accepted into what college. And you're still waiting. When you're in college, it's like, I got this job. I got this job. And you don't have a job. Or you don't have a, a lead or a plan or anything like that. And that's where kind of I feel like these kids were. I think it might have been painted, in my experience, a little more extreme, but that's my experience. Mm. You know, for all we know, several of our friends could have been planning an art heist when we were in college <laughs> to escape the uh, the boredom of their lives. I mean, I do know one kid that became an art robber. He robbed oh, pizza shops. That's nice. But he's out now and he's doing great. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Good for him. <laughs> it's not Rudy, is it? No. Okay, good. <laughs> The critics like this film, actually. It won awards where in like the festivals that it was in. Rudy, of course, will review Reed at the beginning of the episode. He's, Rudy does a great job. He makes me laugh like he's, he's, almost every time. He's a good, he's got a good like voiceover. Just a very like charismatic, warm, I don't know inviting how, quality. Yeah, and I don't know how like Which is hard shame, he works he's at. such a dickhead. <laughs> I don't know how hard he works at some of like the longer words. He's a natural. I'm sure he just wakes up one morning and, you know, just stumbles into his whatever recording studio and just hits record, goes for it, one take, and he's done. So, when, won the British Independent Film Awards for Best Screenwriter and Best Editing, I would agree. Or Best Debut Screenwriter. You so know, this was his first script. I never understand why Best Editing is an award, but this movie kind of makes me get it, if that makes sense. Like, Best Editing, like, what are some other movies that have won Best Editing? Well... On the flip side of that, there's a YouTube video where editors shit on Bohemian Rhapsody. And they like take this one specific scene and they just go like, what is this person looking at? Why did you cut to this person when it's this person's... Like, uh, the way that they detail all the mistakes that were made in Bohemian Rhapsody's like one scene when I think like the agent comes to their table as they're eating uh-huh because even like when the person comes up to the table the camera cuts to somebody else and they're like this person isn't even looking at that person <laughs> like and it's like oh uh -huh. i would not have caught that so, so like the pacing and the accuracy i guess of yeah the, of the, and the okay what con continuity yeah con everything? continuity that's yeah. what i was looking for yeah that's good that okay thanks you gave me some yeah information the pace of this scene is incredible in this 104 second scene, there are an astounding 60 cuts for an average shot length of 1.8 seconds. To put this into perspective, this 136 second fight scene from Transformers The Last Night only has 49 cuts and an average shot length of 2.8 seconds. That's an action sequence from one of the most notoriously hyperactive directors out there. Compare that to this scene of some guys sitting around a table, that's over 30% faster. Absolutely nothing about this scene justifies or requires this kind of ridiculous pace. It's kind of like my cousin is like, 
uh, a composing like he went to Indiana University for comp- music composition and everything and like has that ear mm-hmm. and to me watching even my one of my coworkers who's a sixth grade band teacher how she can like hear like one instrument is off in this corner of the band and this person yeah. like i'm like god that's that's a superpower that, kind yeah of. yeah so i get it so the critics enjoyed this movie but it just again went under the radar and it was released theatrically before it came to streaming yes because opening weekend it made a hundred and forty thousand dollars I mean, that's a lot of money, but... And then I went to streaming, and then who knows, you know, how it's doing or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I feel like with the evolution of Second Chance Cinema, because we're not American animals... Nope. Well, no, we are American animals because we're going to survive and evolve. There you go. There's going to be a lot more of these, like recent movies that just went to streaming that we have no idea how they did other than nobody's talked about it. I've noticed that like our first couple go rounds were a lot of movies from the 90s and like the 2000s and stuff like that which still plenty of room for that here but yeah there are movies now that just pop up and you're like when did this come out like in the case of peppermint yeah this came out like 12 years ago <laughs> nope well and i look forward to like our guest jeremy mm-hmm. who's gonna keep us honest he's you know he's got a whole lot in his chambers of all these old movies that we still need to talk about that's true that's true so american animals final thoughts final thoughts is i don't think you've seen a movie like it you've seen heist movies of I course agree um but this movie the way that they intercut the real life people i think you're gonna enjoy the shit out of seeing it done in a completely different way and also it's gonna make you feel something which is what i think it does make you feel quite a few of the feels dread excitement anxiety chuckle uh laughter humor yeah all kinds of stuff to kind of piggyback off what you just said and the discussion about editing i think one of the best scenes in the movie and i think this is after they've escaped the library and they're yeah it must be then they're driving wherever they're gonna go in the van they drive past the house and they see a guy walking out to get his newspaper like outside of the window do you remember this Mm. they see a guy walking down the driveway to get his newspaper and the camera kind of focuses on him for a minute it is the actual life Spencer. And he kind of looks at the van as it's passing. He kind of locks. I don't know if he if it shows him locking eyes with one of the guys, but he sort of like tracks the van as it's going. That was cool. But then at the end of the movie, the last scene of him, the camera that he's talking to gets up and follows him like out of his studio. And he goes down the drive when he goes out to get the paper and the van drives by. <laughs> so it's kind of, do you remember that? Yeah. So it's kind of like this weird, like time trippy wraparound that just added another kind of like sucker punch to the movie which i thought was it it was just cool i mean it didn't i don't know if it added a ton to the to the to the payload other than like this was a real story that happened and people watched it happen and all that but it was cool it was just kind of like a cool little gimmick to throw in at the end so yeah it's fine like the writer director was bart layden this was 2018 he hasn't he's got a movie coming out maybe but because this didn't do very well like it's I'm hoping that Hollywood kind of looks past that and is like, this man is super talented. He's the writer? He's the writer-director. Writer-director. And so, like, it was his first script that he's ever written, so that's why he got Best Debut Screenwriter. He's got a movie um, in development right now with Benedict Cumberbatch. Maybe we should uh, Maybe we should reach out to him. Yeah. But his upcoming, so it's called Rogue Mail. It seemed a hunter's failed attempt to assassinate a dictator forces him to seek hiding back home in the rural English countryside. So it seems like another, like, failed crime failed movie. Failed caper. Yeah. That was the word I kept using to Peppermint. <laughs> failed cape. We've done, this is, uh, well, Peppermint wasn't a heist movie, but The Lookout was. Mm-hmm. So we kind of did heist, vigilante, heist. Are we due for another vigilante next? The one that I, the next one that I uh, proposed was Buffaloed. Which is like a boiler room. Okay. All right. Well, and it's very, it's happy. Oh, Zoe Deutsch. Zoe, Zoe Deutsch. Zoe. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm going to have to figure that one out. (laughs) Miss, because I don't even, I can't even do that. (laughs) Miss Deutsch. uh, Leah Thompson's daughter. Oh, I thought you were talking about the girl from Elf. Zoe Deutsch. No. (laughs) We're so bad at this. We don't know how to pronounce anyone's names. It's usually the first name we don't, so I just go like Mr. Williamson, you know, uh, like, which would, his first name I is abbrevi- Kevin. I so. abbreviate whenever I can, JGL for yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, Levette. Levette, I guess. I don't, I still don't know if I agree with that, but whatever. Joel Edgerton. Maybe we should ask Rudy, because he can pronounce things. We'll do that. All right. All right. So in between now and next episode, we hope you will check out American Animals. It was a phenomenal, tightly wrapped heist film with all sorts of undertones of uh uncertainty angst um evolution all that sort of stuff just a really really good movie that i am very grateful that you recommended glad i watched good 
So, for both of us here at Second Chance Cinema, until we see you next time, I am MC. I'm Spro. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. <laughs> Should be in and out in less than three or four minutes. Good afternoon. Come in. How are you? I'm Betty Jean Gooch, and I will leave your names for the log, please. I am uh, Spencer Green. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past wait doesn't work we need two guys at least in the room then you need a third guy downstairs in the library keeping lookout. Then we're gonna have to have a getaway driver. Who's your driver? Three of us isn't enough. He's right. I just don't see how any of this is gonna work. I mean, does it seem realistic or? Well, you got a better idea, Spence? No. Fuck.